Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to Firm Foundations, This Is My Father's World, by Reverend Peter Yonker. Today, um, we will start a three-part sermon series on Genesis 1 through 3. And we're calling that sermon series uh, Firm Foundations. And we thought we would do the sermon series and call it Firm Foundations because during times of stress and during times of uncertainty, which we're certainly in, it's good to, to return to foundational things, to things that stay steady, to things that we stand on. And Genesis 1 through 3 certainly gives us those foundational things. It gives us those foundational things, first of all, because it's obviously the very beginning of the Bible, right? The first three chapters of this book that God gave us. But it also gives us foundational things because Genesis 1 through 3 is the place where we first start to hear God's answer to the foundational questions of our life. Questions like, who is God? Questions like, what is a human being? And questions like, what, what is the nature of the natural world out there? If you're a human being, no matter if you're a Christian or not, at some point you're going to have to deal with those three foundational questions. All of us have to answer those questions one way or another. Who is God? Who are we? What is this world out there? And so today we're going to start with the first of those three questions. I'm going to go with uh, what's the nature of the natural world? How do we understand the natural world? And for that we will turn to Genesis 1 and I will read verses 1 through 26. And before I start, let me say that um, I, a lot of my insight and inspiration for this sermon series, uh, I was helped by Andy Crouch, who is a writer and a theologian. Listen to the word of the Lord from Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was an evening, and there was a morning the first day. Then God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was an evening, and there was a morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear, and it was so. And God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was an evening, and there was a morning, the third day. 
And God said, let there be lights on the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be the lights in the vault of the sky to give light on earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was an evening and there was a morning, the fourth day. And then God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly across above the earth, across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the water and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was an evening and there was a morning, the fifth day. And then God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. This is the word of the Lord. So when you walk outside on a perfectly clear night, what do you see? A mother and her six-year-old son go outside in the backyard on one of those perfectly clear nights, and they stand under the vault of the sky, and they see that that sky is just peppered with stars. It's one of those amazing nights, and the, and the six-year-old says, Wow, Mom, look at the stars. They're beautiful. Where did the stars come from? He asks. How you answer that question to that child will really affect how that child sees the world. If you were a Babylonian mother with a six-year-old Babylonian child living about 600 years before Jesus, so that was right around the time the Israelites went into exile and also right around the time where Genesis 1, as we know it now, took its present form, you would answer your child something like this. You would say, oh honey, the sky, you know what that is? That is the body of the great sea dragon and goddess Tiamat. And then you would proceed to tell the story of the fight between Marduk and Tiamat. Tiamat was the goddess of the sea. She was this great dragon and she was the most powerful of all the gods. And she was terrible and scary. And she was menacing many of the other gods and the other gods were afraid of her worried that she would kill them. Marduk, one of the gods, stepped forward and said, I am willing to fight Tiamat. 
and he went forward to engage her. Now, all the other gods thought that he would certainly be defeated, that he would be killed by this great dragon. But when Tiamat rushed towards him with her jaws wide open, Marduk took his bow and he drew it back and he shot an arrow right into Tiamat's mouth and Tiamat was slain. He overcame the great dragon. But mommy, oh wait, after the dragon was slain, he took Tiamat and cut her in two. And with the top half of her body, he made the sky. And with the bottom half of her body, he made the earth. But mommy, where did the stars come from? Oh, all those stars are the blood that oozed out of Tiamat after she was slain. That would be the story that a Babylonian mother would tell her six-year-old child about the sky and the stars. And what was she teaching them when she taught her children that story? That the world was a place born in violence and struggle. That the world was a place that was born of struggle between selfish gods who were always willing to stab each other in the back. If that was the story of the stars for that child, that child would look at the stars and think of blood, look at the sky and think of violence, and look at the ground and think of death. And how would that child then walk through this world? With his fists up and his eyes wide open. Because the only way you're going to survive in this world is by being a fighter and using your will and your strength to get what you need and not be killed. So that's the Babylonian story. What about a modern child? What would a modern child here, a modern secular child, non-religious child? A father and a six-year-old girl walk up under the stars and the six-year-old girl says, wow, they're so beautiful, Daddy. Where did the stars come from? What would the father say? Maybe something like what Jennifer Percy heard from her father. Jennifer Percy uh, is an author and a writer. She teaches writing at New York University. And uh, she grew up in a completely secular family in rural Oregon. Her dad was not a man of faith. Her dad was a scientist. Now, I don't think those two things are opposed. I think science and faith can go together perfectly well. But her father wasn't just a scientist. He was a scientific materialist, which means he didn't just study science. He believed that all the world was is stuff. There was no God, no transcendence. There was only material processes and material things. That's, that's the creed of scientific materialism. And it's, it's not just a, a scientific stance. It's, it's a kind of creed. It's a kind of secular faith. And so out of that position, out of that scientific materialism, uh, when, when little Jennifer asked about the stars, this is what her dad said. And now I'm quoting. My father was an amateur physicist and saw the world only through that lens. I remember him saying that we're all formed of stardust and that the atoms in our bodies began in stars millions of years ago. I remember him saying how if we stepped into a black hole, we'd be turned into a stream of subatomic particles. Jennifer tells a story. She lived in rural Oregon, far away from big cities, and so the night sky was, was spectacular, and they used to go out late at night 
her and her dad, and they'd look up at the stars through telescopes. But her dad would never call the stars stars. He called them dying suns. Look at all the dying suns. And one time, little Jennifer was baking gingerbread men. And while she was baking them, she burnt them. And she went crying to her father about the burnt gingerbread men. And her father comforted her by saying, Oh, don't worry, honey. Someday the sun is going to burn up the earth and we'll all be like that gingerbread man. It's not quite a story like the story that the, the Babylonian mother told her six-year-old, but it amounts to the same sort of thing. It's a view of the world. It's a kind of story of what's happening. And what would happen to a little girl who grew up with that story? Well, Jennifer Percy tells us that too. This brand of science, she says, terrified me. I found the brutal immensity of the universe frightening. My brother and I, like many kids, were shaped by poking through the books we had at home. And we had just two kinds of books, physics books and Stephen King books. Both were terrifying to me. So we had to choose which kind of fear we liked best. Now please hear me correctly on this. I'm not speaking against science. I think science is a wonderful pursuit for all Christian children. I think we need Christian scientists. And I, personally, have a high degree of confidence in the findings of biology, in the findings of astronomy, in the findings of physics. I have a high degree of belief in modern science. So long as modern science sticks to processes, sticks to how things work. Science is really good when it talks about the how of things. Science is not so good when it talks about meaning, the why of things. And Jennifer's father, the secular materialist who didn't believe in transcendence, who already decided there was no such thing as God, was telling a meaning story. And his meaning story to his little girl was there is no meaning, there is no hope, there is no transcendence. My darling daughter, we are doomed to extinction and we walk under a sky of dying scars. Would you like another cookie? Now we come to the Bible. What do we see when we walk out under the stars? When our six-year-old children, grandchildren say, where do the stars come from? What do we say to them? Maybe Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you made. What is mankind that you are mindful of him? What are human beings that you care for them? A story of a creator God, a majestic one who loves us. Or maybe it's not Psalm 8, maybe it's our passage. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. And the light he called day and the darkness he called night. And there was an evening and there was a morning the first day. When you hear Psalm 8 and Genesis 1, compared to those other two stories that I just related, isn't it like a breath of fresh air? Isn't it like living water? Isn't it like a word of hope? 
We do not live in the body of a slain dragon. We do not live in a world which is born out of violence and where you have to use your fists to get everything you want. We live in a world created by a good and loving God who made this world in love. We do not live in a world that is just an accident of atoms banging together. We live in a world made by a God who had intention, who had purpose, and who was determined to see those purposes worked out, who will bring this world to a good end. We live in a world where every blade of grass and every tree and every sunrise and every living thing, if we pay close attention to it, proclaims the glory of our God. We live in a world so good that when God our Father was done creating, he could not help himself but say, it is good, it is good, it is very, very good. And I think that every human being in their heart of hearts, not just Christians, every human being knows the truth of this at some level. Think of what happens to us when we go outside and we observe nature. We see a beautiful sunrise on the shores of Lake Michigan, and what, what happens? Something rises inside of us, and we say, oh, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. Or we finally see the, the Michigan winter turn into spring, and we see the first daffodils and the first tulips, and what happens? Something rises, and we say, oh, that's gorgeous. Or we welcome a child or a grandchild into the world, and she comes perfect and whole, and we say, this is a miracle. Something inside of us says, it is good, it is good, it is very good. There's something in our hearts that hears the echoes of the words that God himself spoke at the beginning of creation. It is good, it is good, it is very good. Something in our hearts knows that this is our Father's world. I think we've all noticed since this COVID thing started that... Um, Many of us have been spending a lot more time outdoors. I know that's true around me, especially on sunny days. They haven't all been sunny, but when they are sunny, um, the streets of where I live are, are absolutely filled with walkers, all enjoying the Michigan spring at an appropriate social distance. And just last week, say on, on Saturday, which is one of the last sunny days we had, um, my family and I, a few of us, we went out to Saugatuck State Park and we walked down to the beach and we walked along the beach and it was absolutely great. It was gorgeous. Why do we do that? Well, part of it is that we're getting stir-crazy being inside all the time and we want to get out. But part of it is that when we walk through creation, we receive... A word of assurance. We're worried about the future. We're worried about our health. We're worried about our economy. We're worried about our society. We have a thousand worries on our mind and we wonder how things are going to go. But then we walk out into the world and we see that the trees are starting to bud. And the grass is getting green. And the Michigan winter is turning into Michigan spring. We see the change of the seasons and we say, oh yeah. God is still in his heaven, and he's still in control. We see the trees start to bud. We see the grass getting green. We see the daffodils push up through the brown leaves. And it's like we hear a voice saying, it is good. 
This is my father's world. And though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. When we walk through a beautiful world, when we read the words of Genesis 1, there are three appropriate responses for us who follow Jesus Christ our Lord. And the first response is care, to care for this beautiful world that God has made, the work of his fingers, his piece of art. We're called to care for it, just as Adam and Eve in the garden are called to care for and cultivate the, the garden that they're put into, we are called to care for and cultivate this creation. Creation care is a very biblical thing. Second, we're called to magnify God's work. We magnify God's work by looking closely at the things he's made and lifting them up before others. So, an artist who sees something beautiful in creation and paints a picture, magnifying God's name. A scientist who finds some interesting physical process in the physical world and writes a paper that shows this delightful thing magnifies God's name. And when you, on your Sunday afternoon stroll, find something beautiful, take a picture and post it on social media, you're magnifying God's name, lifting up the beauty of everything he's made. So we care for creation, we magnify it, and finally we receive the word of confidence that the Lord gives through it. The God who makes the sun rise and set every day. The God who moves the seasons in their fruitful order. The God who loves this world so much that he gave his one and only son to die for us and for this world will certainly bring us through our stressful times and into the new creation. Don't be afraid, people. The Lord is king, let the heavens ring, God reigns, let the earth be glad. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you that in this stressful time we have the constant message, the constant word, the constant testimony of your beautiful world. Help us to lift our heads out of our newspapers, lift our heads away from the evening news once in a while, to look outdoors and to see that you are still Lord, that you are in your heaven, and that you will get us through all our stressful times. Lord, we praise and thank you for every good thing you give. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.